0: always love the story of the two guys that kind of reminds me of you a little bit. They uh, decided to skip church one Sunday morning and go fishing. And uh, I've heard of people doing that before, but anyway, they uh, felt kind of bad about it, but the longer they fished, the worse they felt because they weren't catching any fish, which I understand that happens too. I don't know for sure, but I've heard that before. Finally, one of them said to the other one, he said, you know, I'm feeling really kind of bad that we didn't come to church this morning. The other one said, well, you know, I don't feel too bad. And he said, how come? He said, well, I couldn't have come to church this morning anyway. He said, why? Because my wife's at home. She's not feeling well. Man, I knew that. I just knew that wasn't going to work, but I told it anyway. Listen to me. I've heard from a lot of people that they miss coming to church. I've been hearing that for several months. And I get it. And I think one of the reasons why they miss church is that we're not just doing church on Sunday mornings in South Union. We're having a feast right here. We talk about this all the time. We talk about it every week, the feast that, that is held in your honor, which is amazing to me anyway. But we talk about it every Sunday because we can't help not talking about it. This is a feast that we're having. You know, to come to church and come to God because you're afraid that He'll get on you if you don't, uh, I guess that works for a while. Not very long, I don't think. That's the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. Or, or to come to God and to come to church because you think you can get something out of it. You know, you pray, maybe it'll help you with your finances or you're sick, so you come to church and pray at the altar and that kind of thing. You know, the health, wealth, and prosperity deal, which is nonsense. I guess that works for a while, too. That'll motivate you for a little bit, but that won't last either. But you come to church because you remember what's going on here. You're understanding the magnitude of this feast. Now, that'll get you here. And That'll change you. And I think that's what people are missing right now. It's a feast. That's why I preach the way I preach. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, make every effort to keep the feast. Do everything you can to make sure you're here to participate in the feast. Now, if you're home this morning and you're watching us, I'm going to say this to you again, and I mean it as much now as I said it the last time I said it. If you're not here feasting with us this morning because of COVID, I get it. Okay, I get it. I understand it. Don't like it but I get it. I'm not giving you any guilt. That, that's ridiculous for me to offer guilt to anybody. I'm not pressuring anybody, but I'm being as faithful and as truthful as I can. That in the long run, in the long term, that's not good for you. We, we were created for community. We were made to be with each other. We were made to keep the feast together. I love what Lisa told me early this morning. It's like one of those fake fireplaces you see on the screen that people did for Christmas. You can see the thing, you can hear it, but you can't feel the warmth. And that's what's going on. And so just as soon as you're comfortable, you need to get back here at church. Now somebody says, well, can you guarantee that if I come back to South Union, I won't get COVID? I absolutely cannot guarantee that. But what I will tell you is this is one of the cleanest spots in Monroe County on Sunday morning. It's cleaner than Walmart and Kroger and Menards and Lowe's and some of the restaurants that I've seen a lot of people in. You know what I mean? And as soon as you're comfortable, you need to get back here and keep the feast with us. Why? So God doesn't strike you dead? No. So you can get some reward out of it? No. Because it's too cold to do anything else? Okay, maybe. No. No, we've got to come back here because of what's going on, because of the feast that's before us. And, And I think sometimes we miss that. We forget about it. And I think it happens even when we're coming regularly to church if we're not careful. I think sometimes we miss the magnitude of the feast because we're coming to church out of habit. That's, you know, mom and dad took us when we were kids, and their mom and dad took them, and now we're taking our kids. This is what you do. You go to church on Sunday. Wait, what? <laughs> Listen, we don't come to church to this feast out of habit. You can get it of habit not coming to, to, to church, but you don't want to come here out of habit. Oh, you miss the feast. I think sometimes people miss the feast because they're too busy to sit at the table. They get their joy out of service instead of communion. You know what I mean? And so without thinking about it, if we're not careful, we find ourselves preaching and teaching and singing and counseling, and we miss the table. And we end up doing more and more for a God that we know less and less. That's tragic too. But I think sometimes we miss it just because we don't understand it. We haven't stopped to to contemplate the magnitude of what's going on here on Sunday morning. And so we're going to do a little review this morning, because I had somebody asking me about this. I'm going to talk about it this morning a little bit. And it's my prayer that when you leave here today, or when you turn the TV off when we're done here today, that you'll be reminded of this amazing feast that we have each Sunday in Jesus' honor. Now, I'm going to start by reading a text to you that I've probably preached on a dozen times in the 32 years that I've been here. It's Acts 2.42. It's a picture of the very first church. And as I read it, I want you to see if you can find any similarities in what's going on here. It says, they, the the early church, continually met together, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking bread, and and to prayer. They continued in the apostles' teaching, in the fellowship, in the breaking bread, and to prayer. Does that sound any similar to what we do here on Sunday mornings? I, I think so. I think we do the same thing. I think that's our order of worship, that we have prayer, and then we do the apostle's doctrine, and then we break bread, and then we have fellowship. I think we do that. Those are the four characteristics that are found in the New Testament church. Um, Robert Weber wrote a book several years ago called The Worship Phenomenon, and he said in any classic Christian worship service, you're going to find four things, four movements, that take place in any church that has taken the Scripture seriously and, and taking the uh, honoring Christ seriously. And he says that the early church went through a rhythm of worship that uh, contained all four of these movements. And the first one, number one, is entering into the presence of God. That's the first one. Now, uh, in my 63 years of life, almost every church that I've attended starts with that, moving into the presence of God. That's what we did this morning when the praise team led us in those first two songs. Understand, they weren't singing to us. They were leading us into the praise and adoration of our God. Psalm 100 is a very short psalm, but it certainly illustrates what we're talking about here. By the way, the psalms are full of praises and adoration to God, but this particular psalm illustrates what it means to get into the presence of God, which, of course, is what we're doing here, what we started with this morning here. Let me read it. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His where his people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Listen to this. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Isn't that a great psalm to remember it? It's just an attitude deal. And sometimes even on Sunday morning, we could use an attitude check. You know what I mean? I was talking to some of you this morning, and most everybody I asked, did you have a good Christmas? Most all of you said, oh, yeah, it's great, fantastic. But one of you, I said, you have a good Christmas? And, no, now it's terrible. I said, what? He said, yeah, Christmas is bah anyway. He said, Christmas is a lot like a Fortune 500 company. I said, how's that? He said, well, you do all the work and some fat guy in a suit gets all the credit. <laughs> the guy needed an attitude adjustment. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, listen, I don't know what your attitude is when you come here for the worship service on Sunday morning, but I know what your attitude should be. It should be the Psalm 100 attitude entering into God's presence with praise and adoration, into His courts with praise. And our singing time each Sunday is designed to be symbolic of God's people moving into God's presence. And right now, that's what we're doing as a corporate, as a company, as a body. Even the people who are watching at home in spirit are doing it. See, here's the deal. You and I can come to the presence of God Individually, anytime we want to. Any place, any way, that's the beauty of being in Christ. But something really special happens on Sunday when we get together corporately as the body of Christ and do church. It's amazing stuff. So we sing each Sunday to move into His presence, exalt Him, worship Him, praise Him, and give thanks to Him like what's going on in Psalm 100. So here's my question. Is that what happens with you every Sunday during the worship service at South Union? I imagine it's a little harder at home. I mean, I I would think. It's a lot easier to sing with a bunch of people and the praise team leading. But but either way, is that what happens to you during worship on Sunday? See, I think if we're honest, those of us who are musically inclined, we have a whole lot more fun during the worship time. We love this because we like to sing and we're good at it. In fact, we'd probably like to cut the sermon time down 10, 15 minutes and just sing, you know what I mean? Because some of you are real good at singing and we're glad. We love your talents. It helps all of us move into the courts. Other of us, on the other hand, are not that expressive when it comes to music. We really don't think we're very good at singing. We kind of feel like, remember what Glenn Stead used to say? I can't even play the radio without getting static. You know, that's how some of us feel. Like our our favorite song in front of other people is the Songs of Silence. We feel like we have throat problems every time we sing. Somebody's trying to cut it. You know, we just don't think we can sing very well. And I think if we're not careful, those of us who are there kind of just want to get through this time and on with the next. And, And I pray that doesn't ever happen with you because if it does, you've missed the whole point. We're not here to critique each other, to sing with each other. We're not even here to listen to each other sing. We're here to lift up and praise and adore God through singing, entering into his gates. He, he said make a joyful noise. Uh, you can make a joyful noise whether it's good or not, right? The second movement of worship is, is when we hear God speak. Hopefully that's what's going on now. We read a text, and I do some studying through the week, some stealing through the week. And then I get up here, and I give you some illustrations and tell some stories. And then we try to find application, and we move on. Now, just like the worship part of the service, this goes a whole lot better if I can get me out of the way and get Christ up here. But it's hard to do. I mean, we want to, I want to preach the best I can. You know, and they want to sing the best I can. But So we pray every Sunday that we can get out of the way and let Christ be up here. The third movement of worship is when we all respond with thanksgiving. That's what happens when we come to the Lord's table. That's what happens when we take communion. That's what happens when you put your check in the boxes out in front of the door or mail them in or online, however you do it. It's, it's our response to God. It's like we talked about last week. Does he need your money? Are you kidding me? He owns it all. But it's our response to him, our obedience to give him the first fruits and to recognize him being the giver of all things. And, and then the fourth movement of worship is when we leave. When, when we get out of here and we go back out in the world and love and serve people the way Jesus did. And, and really, the, truthfully, the way the world's going right now, this is some of our finest worship. That's when it begins, when we leave here. Because we get the opportunity to do what Paul said to do in Romans 12, 1, Giving living sacrifices. And we're moving that way at South Union. You understand me? I, I hope you'll be a part of it. We're going to be talking about it from January on as a staff. We're going to take South Union there because the there is not coming here anymore. We get out of here, and we get the opportunity to penetrate the culture and take Jesus Christ to the people that are around us at work and at school and everywhere we go. Now, those are the four movements of worship, the four things that happen at South Union every week. Now, we change things up. Sometimes, you know, Aaron's always telling me, he gives me this or this. every One song before I preach or two, so sometimes we move that around. Sometimes we change the theme and, you know, we do three songs at the end instead of four. But we're praying that that clearly takes place here every week. The rhythm uh, of coming into God's presence and hearing him speak and then uh, offering our thanksgiving and then moving on out of here to serve the way we're supposed to in the community. And it all starts here at the feast. Because if you don't get full, you can't take anything out there with you. And so I want to talk about this a little bit, and then we're going to take communion. This is what somebody was asking me about. You didn't think I was ever going to get there, did you? I was wondering myself. But this is amazing stuff. Matthew twenty six twenty six, when Jesus describes what went on at the last night, he says that the Bible says he he took a loaf, he broke it, he blessed it, he gave it and, and gave it to the disciples. He said, "This is my body. Eat it." Now, those, there are four verbs there. I left one out, but there's four verbs in that sentence that explain communion to me. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. He took. Jesus started this whole deal. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to die for us. This is a Jesus thing. They set this up before time began. It's not that we wanted it or asked for it. He took, he started it. He took and then he blessed. He blessed us by dying on the cross, but he blessed us by giving us this to remember it every week, to get around the table and thank him with each other. That's why we moved uh, several years ago. One of the reasons why we moved our worship set towards the end, so you can get together with the Holy Spirit and so you can take time with Jesus and thank him for all of this stuff. So I'm going to take a minute to tell you about that. It's unbelievable to me that we're not using the altar anymore. I mean, I get it, six feet distancing and all that kind of stuff. But I want to let you know that this is a clean place. The pillars are clean, that's clean, and we need to come back up here. And we need to, you know, we can come back up here the way we should have always done it. We haven't talked about this for a while. But, you know, when I say it's communion time, immediately everybody's taking communion. Because the lights are down and the music's playing, and we get all the communion out and get it over with. Take your time. Hold on to your communion a little bit. Sing a song first. Sing two songs first. Worship Him and praise Him and meditate. And then come up here. There'll be plenty of room by then. And take some time with Him. Practice doing that whether you take it at your seat or up here. He took, He blessed, He broke, and then He gave. And I'm telling you, He gave in a way that's foreign to most people. Um, The blessing part, the, the breaking part, um, did you ever? Do you ever do anything that every time you do it, you, you kind of tear up? You know what I'm talking about. You've probably seen it with me up here. There are certain texts that I read. I'm going to read one later that I had to practice and practice so I didn't tear up when I read it this morning. There's certain stories I tell that always calls me to tear up. I, I tear up. I teared up when I proposed to Angie. I teared up when Angie and I were ordained in the ministry in front of a bunch of people. 37, almost 37 years ago. I, uh, I tear up when I talk about my dad, my mommy now, my father-in-law. I teared up when my kids were baptized, all three of them. I, I tear up when I'm around my grandkids sometimes. Uh, last Sunday, we had all nine together at my house, and I just teared up, welled up with the f- joy and the f- fulfillment of having nine grandkids in the house. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Don't, don't you wonder if that happened to Jesus on that last night? When he picked up that bread and started to break it? Because he knew, man. He knew what that meant. That there was going to be a whipping and a beating and spitting and mocking, a trumped-up trial and a cross. He knew that he was about to do the biggest thing in human history. He was going to love us, die for us, and take all of our sin. you got to wonder if he didn't well up just a little. And then, of course, he gave. In John chapter 13, beginning with verse 2, this is the one I had to practice and practice. John gives his description of that last night in the feast. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son and Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, he knew, that the Father had put all things under his power, And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. God did this. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel wrapped around him. I'm telling you, every time I read this text, it wrecks me. This is unbelievable stuff here. The Bible says for the first time probably in his ministry and his life here on earth, Jesus got the clear picture that all authority had been granted to him. He was in charge of everything. And his first act that he performed on that knowledge was to get down on his hands and knees and wash his disciples' filthy feet. It's amazing. It's amazing grace how sweet the sound. And I used to think that that was the worst part of the story that they let him do that. We all know that in Jesus' day, people walked everywhere they went, and their feet got dusty and dirty. And we know that it was the task of the least of the servant in the household to wash your feet when you showed up. If there was no servant, then it was incumbent upon the host to do the washing. And I used to think the worst part of the story was the fact that these twelve guys, who had spent the better part of three years watching Jesus give and love and serve everybody around in These saved 12 men, when it came time to wash feet, just sat there. They just sat there to see which one would be the servant. They sat there to see who was the least one in the house, and they sat there long enough until the God of the universe wrapped a towel around his waist and got down on his knees and washed their feet. It's amazing to me. I used to think that was the worst part of the story. It's not. The worst part of the story happened in verse 6, when he came to Peter, and Peter said, no, 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 Wash me. I mean, I understand the whole concept of the table. It's it's mind-blowing that you're the host and I'm the honored guest, but you're not serving me. And that's the worst part of the story, because that still goes on with a lot of us today if we're not careful. It happens when we show up to this table and just do it, because that's what we do, without thinking about what's really going on here. It happens when we show up to this table and can't admit to Jesus that we got some issues that only he can fix. It happens when we come to him with these immoral issues and the dirt on our soul and the stuff inside of us that only he can clean up and we don't admit it. And it happens to us because in order to come to this table on Sunday morning and be served by Jesus, we have to admit we need to serve And that's tough on us because we're all that, you know. We got it together. I think we need to come to the table on Sunday mornings and say, God, I I wish it wasn't so, but I got to admit to you, I I need some cleaning. I wish it weren't so, but I got some stuff that I've been watching and some stuff that I've been thinking and some stuff that I've been doing that only you can fix. I wish it weren't so, but it's you. Because here's the deal. The amazing thing is not that you and I drug ourselves out of bed this morning and came to church in the cold to get around this table. And the amazing thing this morning is not that you drug yourself out of bed and turned on the TV to worship with us this morning. The amazing thing is the God of the universe, Jesus showed up this morning with a towel. (laughs) He's in the building with a towel ready to wash you off. And you don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss this for anything.